0: To the show, everybody. you're listening to the Confessionals Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at the confessionalspodcast.com. That's contact at the confessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, the confessionalspodcast.com, hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way, works for me. Just get a hold of me. If you want more shows, On a weekly basis, every Thursday, we come out with a members-exclusive show that's available on the website, on our app, and you can get access to those things on theconfessionalspodcast.com. Just hit the join button and become a member. You'll get access to those episodes, plus ad-free listening of the Tuesday shows and the overtime segments when they're available, all exclusive for members to theconfessionalspodcast.com. Friends, We have a great opportunity for you to watch the premiere of The Shape of Shadows. That's the new film we're coming out with at Merkle Media where me and my team went out to Space Wolf Research, which butts up against Skimwalker Ranch. And we spend an entire week out there doing our own investigations onto what the weird is going on out there. We had uncovered a lot of cool things that we got on video and we wanted to share with you guys. It is premiering exclusively on the shape You can become a VIP. You can get your VIP ticket right there on the website, the shape or you can go and get your VIP plus ticket, which includes an exclusive limited time offer. The shape of shadows t-shirt. So if that interests you, go ahead, check it out, theshapeofshadows.com. That is where we're premiering the film. It is exclusively available there only on August 19th, 2023, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we go live, premiering it live. And then right after, we go into a live Q&A with me and the crew talking about our experiences at Space Wolf Research in the Uinta Basin. Now this week we have Ron Murphy coming on the show today And Ron and I have been talking about doing a show together for quite some time We finally got it done We talked about Egypt, we talked about Pennsylvania We went from Chestnut Ridge to Mind Portals We went all over the place This was a great conversation I really think you guys are going to enjoy it So let's get to Ron right now All right. Take two. We have Ron Murphy on the show today, sir. What is going on? I, You know what, my friend? I'm so happy to be here. This has been
1: planned for about like three and a half months, and we're just finally getting to it now. And this is our actually our second go, because the first time we came on, there was a delay. So this is actually the second attempt at a show that has been planned for months.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's nuts, and I'm glad... Uh, we're finally getting it done. Uh, I'm using zoom. I haven't used zoom in forever, but the service I normally use, uh, is glitching. So, uh, (laughs) went back to the default zoom. So, uh, listen, you and I got connected through, uh, a a common listener of my show, Laura, and she mentioned to me, she's like, you should have Ron on the show. And then I, I, I think we were talking about the people at the, um, the Dogman conference in Paris, Tennessee, and you were there and, um, and I was there. So, you know, we just kind of, our paths kind of crossed over time and, you know, I was like, let's get them on the show and talk. Uh, oh, yeah,
1: actually, I, you know, I've been a fan of yours and I saw you passing and I said hello, but You were very, very busy that day. So this is actually our first kind of official meeting.
0: Yeah. I, I think this, it, it worked out great. Uh, let me ask you a quick question, uh, housekeeping real quick. Am I on video for you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I, I don't see me at all. So I just wanted to make yeah. sure you felt didn't feel like you were talking to a blank wall.
1: Uh, no, actually, on on my side, all you are is video. The, I don't even see myself on this. So if you can see me, gotcha. I can do all was good.
0: All right. Sounds good. Uh, show self view. Got it. Right here it is. There it is. Uh, I don't know if I just jacked up my video recording, but I don't care. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm glad you're here. And uh, we're going to kind of launch off with the Chestnut Ridge topic, uh, and we'll see where it evolves from there. I, uh, coming from Pennsylvania, have heard of Chestnut Ridge since it's in Pennsylvania. I've never, I mean, we're talking, we're over 550 episodes into this this show, and we've never done anything on Chestnut Ridge that I can remember. Maybe it's come up in conversation, uh, but it was one of those things where, well, who do you talk to? You know, and because uh, I'm not the, like the listeners know i'm not the guy that you know is going to inform you on on what chestnut ridge is or anything else like i talk to the people who know about the topics uh and so it was one of those things where i could have had stan gordon i'm sure uh mm-hmm. but it, it just it's one of those things where it, it always works out for the best in the end and you always just kind of like it's in the back of your head but you never did anything with it and here we are and we're going to do something with it before we get into chestnut ridge though uh, for the listeners, tell them who you are, what you're about, what you do. Tell them about your books and stuff like that.
1: Excellent. So, okay. So um, I have grown up in the shadow of the Chestnut Ridge all of my life. So I, I, I was from a small town uh, in Western Pennsylvania called Blairsville that back at the time had two streetlights. And um, back in the day before podcasts, we used to have to go to the radio, right? Uh, it's hard to believe that people were doing that, you know, even, you know, 40 some years ago, but um, you mentioned Stan Gordon without Stan Gordon, I would not be here because about twice a month, he would be on KDK, which is a uh, radio station in Pittsburgh. And he would talk about all the kind of strange goings on that was happening uh, back in the seventies. Now, as a kid, this was a great time to be alive um because you know we had in search of we had that's incredible so all these great programs were on but in my town it was boring nothing was going on until bigfoot was being cited and that was awesome you know so my mother and i we would listen to um stan gordon talking on the radio and then the next day we would go to the sites that he had mentioned that was right outside of our town and we would go investigate for ourselves now of course we never found anything but like i said this was a great time to be alive and um, I would go to, uh, the kids nowadays can just Google things, but uh, back in the day, we had to go to libraries, right? And it was kind of like a, an investigation in and of itself because you had to go to a hard catalog. You had to do all this kind of stuff. You know, you had to find the footprints to lead you in the right direction. And my town's library had a couple Bigfoot books, but it was great because as a kid, I was sitting there, I was absorbing this stuff, and I was really just excited about all this kind of stuff. And um, it stayed with me until high school. And then I found out that high school girls really don't find guys <laughs> but that interesting. I, I know it's changed now, my friend, but back in the day it didn't. But um, I, then I went to college, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and I was studying anthropology. And I remember this, you know, like it was yesterday, even though it was, you know, like 30 years ago. But I was sitting down at my desk, it was an anthropology 101 class, you know, introduction to anthropology. And there was a a chapter in there about um, this idea that a species of a Gigantopithecus may have existed into the historical era, and this gave us the idea, at least the notion of the evolved snowman. And this was from a book that was not published by Amazon. This was a book that was actually, you know, these were by professors that had written this book, and they had the idea that there might be a remnant population of Gigantopithecus that was the basis for you know our, our our myths and i thought this is this is awesome and it was like bigfoot now entered the room sat down beside me and said now what do you do with me right so as an academic and also as someone a lover of the paranormal i thought let's see how we can look at the supernatural and through the cryptozoology from a multidisciplinary perspective so i used psychology and sociology and mythology It kind of blended all together to get to the archetype of what we're looking at. Because once we get to the archetype, we can now trace some sort of history. And for a lover of Bigfoot, werewolves and vampires and all that kind of stuff. And as somebody that writes about all these things, I try to find the genesis for these things within the historical record, which sometimes is very difficult and very nebulous. But I try to go back as far as I can to find out where these things got their origin story and then why in the 21st century do we need these creatures now? So as someone that writes about these things, I've written about mermaids and I've written about, you know, Bigfoot and Dogman and ghosts and fairies and witches and all this other kind of stuff. But, um, the one book that I'm quite proud of and the first book that I've ever written about the paranormal was The Unexplained World of the Chestnut Ridge, which was 30 years of my investigation into this area that I still call home. Uh Oddly enough, I live at the corner right now of Chestnut and Ridge, and the Chestnut Ridge is right outside my window right now. And it was from there, it's from this very odd area that is not a very big piece of property, right? It only extends from, you know, about 75 miles and it terminates in Morgantown, West Virginia. So, but in this very narrow corridor, we have Bigfoot sightings and UFO encounters and, and just strange things that go on. So much so that back in the 1970s, this was called the Twilight Zone of Pennsylvania, and you would think that there might have been some sort of fervor going on of, you know, a Bigfoot sighting. So people have this kind of mass hysteria about things that go bump in the night. But even now, you know, there are reports coming out of there weekly, if not daily, at certain times of the year.
0: Wow. So uh, you write this book, and it kind of carries throughout time, really. I mean, it starts with back when you were a kid about the Chestnut yeah. Ridge. And it's still having weird, crazy things happen now. Um, uh, first of all, I want to uh, just before we get away from it, uh, where where can people get your books on Amazon? Right?
1: Yeah, you can get them on Amazon. Actually, uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, Walmart picked up several of my books as well too. So I was very happy about that. So if you can't find them on Amazon, you can go to Walmart, and if Walmart does not carry them there, at least you can order them, and they'll be there overnight or what have you. Wow. But yeah. Get me on Amazon, or you can contact me, you know, through Facebook, social media, or whatever, uh, Ronald Murphy, and, and I'd be happy to get you out on anything that you need. Um, because at the end of the day, whenever I go to conferences, I'm in awe of people that I'm there with. Like I can't believe that I'm there. So I buy their books because I think that anytime we have literature out about a particular subject you need so many different point of views to, in, in order to get a real good focus on what's going on. So that's, that's what I do. My friend, I, I, I see myself here with all these people like Ken Gearhart and, you know, loud blackburn and things. What the heck am I doing here? But I think that we all need to have these different perspectives in order to see a clearer focus of what we're looking at.
0: Yeah. I, I had a similar experience with Lyle. Uh, I, one of these days I'm sure he'll be in studio to chop it up, but I remember it was at the, the uh, Paris conference uh, I was walking by him and I just shake his hand and he looks at me right in the eyes. He's like, man, you're blowing up. And I'm just like, you know who I am? Like, <laughs> it's like, what? No, um, no, that's absolutely the case. You get that kind of
1: fuzzy feeling in there because these people who were, you know, your idols, especially whenever you're starting out, you know, you see these people and you think these are the best of the best. And uh, then they finally know who you are. And that's that's a great
0: feeling. It was wild. So, uh, and, and, you know, um, Let's, let's bring it into the Chestnut Ridge conversation here. Uh, you, you brought up kind of like how you got involved in the, the whole 30 years is a long time for looking into the topic. Uh, what was the first that you at least can recall, uh, the first experience that happened at Chestnut Ridge that kind of launched it off into this weird because, or was it something that was like always historically there and we just didn't really document until a certain time period?
1: No, no, it, I think it was always been there. Um, so whenever, I, so I went to the University of Pittsburgh and, um, I have my BA in literature and then I have my master's degree in history. Okay. So from, from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. So I like to look at everything from a historical perspective. So if this stuff was going on now, uh, history doesn't exist in a vacuum. So obviously there was something going on there before. Uh, sorry about that. I have a, a bird as well, too, that's being very vocal right now. But, so, um, I start finding out these, these writings, you know, pre-Revolutionary um, uh, War, calling this area the howling wilderness. Now, of course, there's different ways to look into that, but, you know, talking about Bigfoot howling and things like that, it's very strange they were using the same type of terminology. But there was always this kind of oddity to this area because you would find out reports of, of lumbermen that came to this area and were leaving certain areas alone because there was unusual feelings there. Um it's really like, like I said, it's really interesting to see that it's just not happening now. There's a continuation of something going on. And it was in this area that the first Bigfoot report was back in the 1840s, I believe it was so before the Civil War. And this was the area where, you know, UFOs and strange lights in the sky have been reported and the idea of the Tommyknockers, which miners had talked about and ghosts and everything. So we're going back to a tradition that goes back at least several hundred years, at least two or 300 years. At an American time, that's like, you know, eternity. But we're talking about going back to the trappers, you know, in the late 1600s, that there's something go- unusual going on here.
0: What was the uh, first experience with Bigfoot? I mean, that that's, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the first encounter with Bigfoot was was in Pennsylvania, let alone Chestnut yeah. Ridge.
1: Yeah, well, this is what's odd about this encounter too, and I bring this up to people. So to, to put it in perspective, there was Major League Baseball being played in certain parts of the country at this time, but there was a trapper that was in Indiana County. That claimed to have seen what he called a wild man, because these were all wild men before the name Bigfoot came to us, or the name of Sasquatch that was brought from the Pacific Northwest. These were wild men, and it was just simply a trapper that wandered into town uh, that claimed that he had seen a wild man. And all these towns now that we have connected by highways, you know, these sometimes were days apart from each other. You know, at one time this area that we're talking about, we're talking about into the uh, into the early eighteen hundreds. The, 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 uh, there was a doctor who was about a week away from where we're at. So, you know, when you think about Pennsylvania now with all the Walmarts and universities and everything like that, it wasn't that way until very, very recently. So the idea that there was a wild man prowling about, you know, outside in the outskirts and, you know, the, 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 the borderland of the wilderness was really a story in and of itself. Um, And then there was unfortunate things that happened to the chestnut ridge Um, at at the turn of the uh, 19th century into the 20th century. uh, There was a chestnut blight that killed off all these trees. And the chestnut tree at one time stood, you know, 100 foot tall, 10 feet around, bigger in, in, in other parts of the country down towards Georgia. But they rained from Georgia to Maine. So this was a big blow to the chestnut ridge. Because you know, that was the name of it. Now that the tree is gone, and then lumbering came in. So again, you know, you have this place that was barren, you know, for 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 many, many uh years. But now everything is reclaimed. Uh the the, the trees are back, it's still a wilderness. Um, but I try to t- tell people, you know, they say that you know Bigfoot can't live in an area like this. But I will tell you uh, at one time, and this was all man's doing, of course, this was the home to elk. This was the ho- a home to, you know, mountain lions. And at one time, up until the time of the, the French and Indian War, uh, the Chestnut Ridge was also home to the Woodland Bison, which was larger than the Plains Bison that we have nowadays. So to say that it cannot hold very large animals is a complete and utter uh, fallacy because at one time it did. Um, And so as a theorist and somebody that investigates this, I look and see, is it possible you know, even though this place was warded at one time and even though this place was pretty much domesticated at one time, is it possible that these populations that once exist there are now moving back in and reclaiming? And I think that's what's going on. Now, people like Stan Gordon think that there's always been a population of Bigfoot within the Chestnut Ridge, but I don't see that as something that is plausible. Um, I think the Chestnut Ridge works as a great highway for for these kind of animals, it's easy to get from one place to another without being seen because people live along the Chestnut Ridge, but the the the, the top of the ridge itself is. Pretty, you know, pretty sparse. There's not anything that goes up there. So it's a perfect highway to remain elusive and get around. So my theory is if these creatures are indeed flesh and blood animals, they have to necessarily be migratory because if they stay in one place for too long, uh, they're not only going to d- diminish all the, all the, 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 the um, resources in that particular area, but then the chances of being uncovered will be uh, uh, quite likely as well, too. So I see the chestnut ridge as a great thoroughfare or these things that go bump in the night to travel without being seen by us.
0: So it's like a spooky highway, you know, just
1: a uh, spooky super highway. I like that term, yes, sir.
0: Yeah, that's that's wild. So, uh, with with the the migratory idea of things, is there is that? So you mentioned kind of like other creatures, but do you hear of other creatures other than Bigfoot involved with Chestnut Ridge? I mean, I know like. Um, it's not that far from Point Pleasant with Mothman. I don't know if there's ever been Mothman settings, but it like I know when I first started all this stuff that I do now, uh, dog the topic of Dogman was starting to pick up steam, and I remember, and I don't I don't remember exactly where Chestnut Ridge is, it, like in my mind, looking at the state of Pennsylvania, but uh, I know southeastern Pennsylvania was started getting a lot of Dogman chatter, like people seeing things has. That been popping up on Chestnut Ridge,
1: it has, it has. So this is awesome. I'm glad you brought this up because connecting the dots and everything like that. Uh, Point Pleasant sits on the Appalachian Plateau, the same where we are at as well, too. So there is this geological connection between all these kind of things. And a lot of people say geology does come into play, right? We can talk about that later. But you know, for all intents and purposes we are geologically the same type of structure that we have here. And that might be what's producing these things. You know, these might be earth energies, but absolutely. So I was a teacher for most of my adult life and somebody, I was in the teacher uh, uh, break room and um, somebody else came in and know that I like Bigfoot and everything. And she said, I saw something strange the other day and I don't, don't understand what was going on, you might have, a, have any kind of inkling. I said. So, what happened? So, here in Western Pennsylvania, people like to go around spotting deer. I don't know if you have that phenomenon, yeah. in tennis, but but that's where, you know, right before the hunting season, people go out with these big spotlights and shine them in the fields looking for deer in hopes of prob- possibly harvesting one of those in the upcoming season. So, she said as she was doing this, she had actually the spotlight landed on what she thought was a wolf in the in the field she said you could see this huge wolf head this huge canine head but what set it apart from everything else it is appeared as if its knees were drawn up to it and it had its arms around its knees it was kind of like cradling itself just sitting in the field watching i've never heard about this before and she said the only thing i can think that it was was a werewolf now that's the word that she used now again connecting the dots this sighting was off of a place called Meteor Road in kecksburg Pennsylvania, where the Kecksburg incident happened back in the early 1960s. So we see all these kind of strange things happening here. But that was the first time I ever heard about this werewolf. Now I was up on the Chestnut Ridge with a gentleman named Sam Sherry, who had a Bigfoot sighting back in 1984. And he claimed, um, hold on one second again. I got a she she's usually not like this, but this is giving me a little bit. Okay, there, there she goes. All right, so um, this, back in 1984, he claims to have had a sighting along the Lohanna River. Um, but his sighting was a little bit strange because he was fishing at night and he heard something and he looked across the bank and there was some creature over there. He turned around to get in his car and uh, in a second like that, the creature had crossed the river and appeared now behind his car. The word he used was materialized and um he said the creature actually like waved at him as he pulled away he said he described the as looking very um uh native american and the skin was more leathery and really didn't have any kind of hair on it but from that time on people had thought that it was a bigfoot and in order so he didn't think that people were calling him crazy all the time he was going to go out and try to prove the existence of these creatures so he had all these kind of a uh, Rude Goldberg type of experiment set up like putting an apple around aluminum foil, or around aluminum foil, around barbed wire, so the creature would reach in there, and some hair would get caught or whatever, so he wouldn't prove the existence of these creatures. So we were up on the chestnut ridge, and he goes, I've seen two types of Bigfoot up here. I said, really? And that was the first time I ever heard of any of this stuff going on. And he said the one type was the large lumbering type of gentle giant that you would get, the Harry and the Henderson type of fame, right? And he said the other kind was a much thinner type of Bigfoot. I'd never heard this before. And it had an elongated snout and it hunted in packs. And I had never heard this before. And then Dogman now finally comes out into, in, into, the, into the foray, right? So at this point now, I thought, well, I've been listening to these stories now before it was even given a name. And now Dogman comes up, which I think is kind of a disservice to this animal as well, too, because I think that they've always been out there, especially in places like Michigan. You know, I wrote my on Dog Man book several years ago, and I found out, you know, from the 1800s they were seeing things out there that appeared to be, you know, for lack of a better term, a dog man or, or a werewolf or what have you. But um, these things have been around for a while, and sometimes they're given rather silly names, like even Mothman is a rather silly name. It's hard to take things like that seriously. Uh, but getting back to your point. Yes, I think that these things have always been around, but now we just have names. We have names now. So they'll become part of our vernacular that way.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's cultural names. Uh, you know, okay. people, like, I mean, at one time, Dogman was probably called Anubis, you know? Absolutely. And,
1: and so Absolutely. Yes, that's right. That's right. So it, I, I, to get back on that, because again, Somebody tuning in or somebody has a passing interest in this, you know, they can say, you know, these guys are fruitcakes. You know, they're, what are they talking about? This I already know up. I am, sucker. I exactly, already know exactly. I am. <laughs> yes. But, but when we talk about things like Anubis, we can talk about entire civilizations built upon a notion that a human being can transform into another, you know, an, an, another manifestation. And we have to take that into account my friend you know the the idea of anubis you know this dog headed god you know sometimes he is represented as a in human form as well too they're they're much more rare but the idea of a transformative god has always been there and we really need to kind of take that into consideration and say hey this seems to be part of our you know this is wired into our dna is it wired into our dna because in our ancient past we as a collective humanity had encountered these creatures. That's very Jungian. You know, this is this is the stuff of Carl Jung, the idea of a collective unconscious. But that is the gist of my research. I firmly believe that in our distant past, we had encountered these creatures. They became part of our mythology. And now the question is, is it possible these creatures are still out there?
0: Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> I feel that way. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, off the Anubis idea, I just saw... I think it might've been on Instagram. You know how uh, certain things kick. So when something's on Joe Rogan and it hits hard, it tends to just spark a bunch of stuff you see on the internet right. then. And uh, we had, uh, um, um, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, Carl, um, uh, Randall Carlson. We had, Randall Carlson was on Rogan's show, and uh, he started talking about ancient technology and how the Egyptians might have moved into Egypt and the stuff was already there, the, the pyramids. And uh, I believe he said, yeah, because he said that, that uh, I think it was him, somebody said about how the Sphinx and how the head is like a pharaoh head and stuff, the, the, the Sphinx was probably already there and they replaced the head with a pharaoh head. And then I saw on Instagram, somebody overlaid a dog that would be laying down and it looks very proportionate and uh it, it's like maybe there was a giant anubis statue already existing there and the egyptians came in they're like i think we're going to replace the dog head with our god pharaoh whatever you know makes sense to me uh, right so it, it does because if
1: you look at it um the head doesn't seem proportionate to the sphinx as it appears now right and I like that idea of these kind of resets, right? These kind of um uh, resets within humanity. And we'll take this. I know this is going off the track a little bit, but I think it's matter. something to talk about, too. So archaeologists and, and anthropologists, I, I don't think they like to talk about this. But there is one point in our history that definitely is a reset that people will sometimes talk about, but a lot of people aren't knowledgeable about. And this was a period called the Younger Dryas. And the reason why they call it, it's a little alpine flower that's still in existence now. But at one time, it was prevalent around the world during glaciation. So what happens to the Younger Dryas? So we're talking about a time after all these great ice sheets had already come back, right? So this was a time whenever there was some... Some superficial farming going on, some animal husbandry going around the world. Probably pigs were being raised at this time, probably chickens. And there was the signs that humanity was finally getting together and coalescing in civilizations. We have places in, um, in Russia, in the Caucasus Mountains, where you even have megalithic structures going on up at this time. So this was a time right around, you know, 13,000 to 12,000 years ago. But what happens is, as we all, as, as humanity is getting together, we're starting to form communities. We're starting to not be so much hunter-gatherers anymore. There is a sudden cold spell, and that's the Younger Dryas period, and it lasts for about a 1,000 years. Now, unlike the Ice Age that took you know thousands of years to happen, this happened in a matter of decades. And we're talking about the temperature dropping to the point that hunter-gatherer lifestyle was now necessary again. So imagine that you're a 10-year-old child, You are brought up in a place where everybody's getting together. There's enough food to eat. You know, if you want to eat something, you just go to your backyard and this kind of stuff was going on. Now, the time you're 20, you know, now the snow's back around again and you have stories. You have stories about the way it used to be that you tell your children. And by the time you pass away and your children pass away it's becoming like the game of telephone at this point because we remember at a time whenever we had enough food to eat. You know, it was almost like you know a paradise sort of thing, if you think about it. You know, we didn't have to be afraid of the wild animals because we we live in these structures and everything. Now imagine, if you will, you know, this is this is a time the Yemer Dryas period only lasted for a very short duration. Now imagine you were part of a hunter-gatherer clan and you come across an abandoned village that was built, you know, several hundred years ago. You would think the giants would have built it because these were great stone structures. You would think something from another planet would have built it. This is part of our mythology, right? That somehow there was this reset. You know, this and in this case, it was, you know, a, a climactic reset. Uh, that we were uh usurped by nature, and our dominance was now replaced by us going, becoming hunter-gatherers again and wondering about the world, you know, with spears in our hand. Um, after we were already starting rudimentary, you know, planting and everything. So these things do happen. And I think that from an archaeological point of view, and an anthropological point of view, we need to keep this in mind. If we know this particular period happened, what's to say that our reset didn't happen thousands of years before that, right? I mean, it's very possible. And so I keep an open mind. And I think, I like to think that, you know, according to, Mainstream archaeology that we as human beings have been around here for a hundred thousand years, but we're only to believe that when the last you know twenty five thousand years we start making an imprint on our society by you know painting on rocks and things like that, and then you know all of a sudden five thousand years ago we start with pyramids, we start with Stonehenge, we start with all this other kind of stuff, or is it in fact that we are just rediscovering these kind of things that we had this huge flourishing civilization 200,000, you know, 100,000 years ago, then all of a sudden we lost it for whatever reasons. So now we look at these things and marvel because we forgot about the technology that we had in order to make this kind of stuff happen, you know, Um, from uh, 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 a religious point of view. And I know we have to bring this in because that does kind of uh, shed light on who, who we are as well, too. I remember taking this one class and it was part of the, uh, the uh, medieval imagination that the farther we get away from the time of creation, the more and more we digress. We go back to our animalistic ways. So there's something to be said there because even the Greeks did this. You know, we're looking at a you know, non-Judeo-Christian background as well, too. Even the Greeks thought that there was these different ages of men, right? We have this golden age, you know, the time of heroes, the time of great art, the time of culture. And now we keep on going back and forth, and now we ended up in the Stone Age. So we, as people, now look at the Stone Age was at the very beginning, and now we are to where we are right now. But wouldn't that be something that the Stone Age was just a transition in our great, um, you know, our great march to whatever, which wherever we're going to?
0: That, that'd be amazing. I, yeah. I, I, the more, the older I'm getting, the more I'm fascinated by. Looking into those topics and just, and maybe it's because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have much history, you know, that's why everything seems to take forever. When you're five years old and you say, uh, well, it's Christmas day and you're not going to have Christmas again for another year. You're like, that's forever because you only lived five of those, you know, but when you're my age, almost 40, it's like, well, that's going to come real fast, you know, but, and That's so right. perspective, and so the older I get, the more I, I just get more interested in the history of where we come from. And I've always kind of been interested in history, but uh it, I guess maybe the weirder I get, the more my my interest shift in my historical interests. Uh, right. But um, maybe let's let's make a hard shift back to Chestnut Ridge, uh, and it, maybe maybe we're living in a historical shift within these kind of um areas uh yes. we we know that you know you, you can look at the history of these areas and see you know the stories coming out of them and uh i look at the chestnut ridge area southeastern pennsylvania uh you mentioned about the kecksburg ufo uh and how there's been i think you mentioned about Dogman sightings in that area mm-hmm. um do you view and this is gonna this, listen I, we talked about before we started. It's gonna go a little woo-woo here, so I it, just feel free to say I don't believe that, but you know I'm gonna go there um do you look at the chestnut Ridge area, kind of like maybe the Bridgewater triangle area where like it's like it seems like there's geographical locations where there's all this activity happening from different seemingly different topics like uFOs to dogman to Bigfoot to Mothman whatever uh do you think that, like, say, the Bridgewater Triangle to Chestnut Ridge, um, I, the way I view it is there's some kind of almost like a thinning of a veil where the weird can peek through a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you view these geographies? Because you mentioned about how you might revisit the idea of how geolo- geology plays into all this. Um, how, do you, how do you view that stuff? Because it does seem like yeah. there's a pattern of very specific areas that have a lot of weird stuff. That's
1: right. That's right. Well, I'm glad you brought up about the Bridgewater Triangle because a couple weeks ago I actually got to investigate several places in the Bridgewater Triangle. And um, what's odd is, you know, you'll drive into the Bridgewater Triangle area, and in the woods you'll find ancient burial ground from the settlers there that dated to 1640s, right? And then there was Indian burial grounds dating back to the Wampanoag, you know, well before the white man came. So this was a place of burial, and this was a place where it was excluded from, like, the normal world of the living, right? It was always a sacred place. Like, the you know, the Wuppendog name for uh, uh, for the Huckabuck Swamp is the place where spirits dwell or spirits walk. So it seems as even in the native tongue that this was not a place for the living. This was a place set apart from. But as people expand into the area, you know, they, they become less superstitious and everything. But yes, I think that that's what's going on, and I think that these great triangles that we have has always been set aside for the very from the very beginning, and it's only now that we start, you know, like I said, thrusting off these ideas of superstition. And whenever that happens, and people move into this these areas, these are the things that we encounter, right? And the idea of the veil between two worlds, I think that's very very adequate. Um, are these places where portals exist? You know, are these places that are naturally occurring, uh, places where earth energy is there to allow these kind of doors to open in other worlds? And I think that that is truly the possibility of what we're talking about here. Not only the possibility, but maybe even the plausibility of why so many things are being seen, but nothing's being captured. It seems as if something can enter into these worlds, these triangles. Um, be flesh and blood there for, for whatever amount of time and then return to their own world so we can get evidence but we don't have that the physicality that we need. Um, and the idea of ghosts as well, too. And the other thing that we didn't talk about either is the idea of fairies as well. We in America don't like to talk about fairies because they seem, you know, we have this Victorian imagination. But whenever you look at it from the, the original point of view, the way it would have been, you know, in the, 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 the middle ages, you know, fairies, these kind of elementals that are spirits within the landscape itself, I think it makes tremendous sense. We talk about these things as well, too. Maybe we are dealing with Earth energies itself that is not, you're not seeing Bigfoot, you're not seeing dogmen, but you're being acted upon by some force that's making you think that you're seeing these creatures. And that's the reason we don't have any photographs.
0: You just, uh you hit the button for me yeah. <laughs> when you're like, it might be portals. I'm like, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. Well, it, it,
1: so, so whenever I, I say these kind of things, like, you know, it's, oh, that's a guy's opinion. That doesn't make any sense. So I try to find some sort of empirical evidence that would suggest that other people thought this way. And Rene Descartes, you know, who wrote the Cartesian theories and stuff like that. He had the idea that yes, indeed, the mind can play that way that we are kind of a blank slate in there. And it's possible that we are kind of like the directors of our own films. So, and of course this is going back before there was films, but I mean, I'm using these analogies, but the idea that we have within us, um, our reality exists right in our brain. And if there are energies out there that can somehow impress themselves within that energy of our brain, you know, we talk about things like infrasound. Is it possible that this kind of infrasounds that are being used to play within us some sort of image or some sort of um you know some sort of paradigm that will keep us out of a particular area or whatever so these are the things that I'm working on right now the idea that our mind can be affected by these beings these elementals whatever and allow us to see things because that's a great way to be um elusive, that's a great way to be territorial without being uh confrontational. You know, that's a way as well, too. And we know a little bit about infrasound because it has a military aspect. And we know if we place certain types of frequencies, we get feelings of what has been called, you know, paranormal thoughts, you know, hearing voices or seeing images, you know, something like that. So it's very possible that what we call the paranormal experience, the supernatural experiences, actually being worked on intentionally towards us by these forces within the natural world and maybe these forces exist within these triangles and these triangles then indeed are the portals that we're talking about
0: uh what you're describing is awesome because i have recently been talking about this when i can and i don't know how to put my thoughts together on it and i've just been calling it very simply a mind portal Mm -hmm. and uh and i and i really like i was thinking about this i would say the time of this recording is uh uh July 3rd, 2023. And I would say in the fall of 2022, I started thinking about this stuff. And I really started talking about the mind portal in January of 2023 when I released an episode. It was 510 and I called it uh Interdimensional Dog Man or something like that. Uh and th- it's a story of a guy, his name Hunter, and the people listening are familiar with this. So I'll, I'll just go quickly on it. But, um, he's here in Tennessee with me about three hours from me. And he has this terrible nightmare that he perceived as a nightmare. And he wakes up, he's sitting up in his bed, sweating. He notices that he has handprints and scratches on his back. And logically you could say, well, you had a nightmare. You did it yourself, dude. Uh, stop beat. stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. You know? (laughs) Um, And he tells his wife about it, and he carries on. A few days later, he is walking out in the woods with his son, who's 11 years old at the time. And I I should probably rewind and tell the story real quick. Um, The dream was he was in his dream out in the woods with his family and there was a dog man standing there and looked at him, looked at his family and started going at his family. And he runs, gets between the dog man and his family and the thing starts tearing him to pieces. And then he wakes up in his bed and he has these bruises all over him. So he's out in the woods with his son a few days later and he and his son both see an upright standing dog uh, staring at him. And he's like, it was the exact same dog that was in my dream. And they they run out of there. This thing, I believe if I remember correctly, pursues them, but it doesn't get them. And I told, and that's another thing that is so woo woo weird about this is because if it's a natural creature and it's chasing you, it's going to get you. Just like a cougar, a bear, a, a bobcat is going to mm. catch you. And if there's an upright walking dog that's chasing after you that's eight feet tall. It's going to get you if it wants to get you, but it didn't. And there's something weird about that. It, it, it almost like there's ro- rules and laws that are at play that they can't do certain things. Um, but I started calling it the mind portal. Like there's something about our mind that allows these things to manifest. And it's not the only time I've heard this and 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 there's also like this this bridge that I talk about, too, and I don't know how to explain it, but I think there's, there's. I don't think there's just one other realm or reality, but uh, let's just keep it to two: ours and another one. I, I I'm, there's, there's a bridge, and these things cross over on the bridge. And sometimes we cross over on the bridge, and sometimes maybe it's the dream state or something like it, where we're on the bridge. We're not in this world. We're not in another world. We're somewhere on the in the middle on this bridge, where between realities, and these things meet us there. And if we leave to come back to this realm and we don't close that door fast enough or somehow, do these things come through? It, it, it's just something that, and I don't, listen, you're the researcher. You, you clearly have done research on things and you're an academic. I'm a former truck driver with a podcaster, so I, I have a limited vocabulary But this is how I feel inside, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that was the most eloquently I've ever heard that. And I've never heard of anything called a mind portal. And I think that makes, that's beautiful sense. And that sums up absolutely everything that we have just been talking about. Because a lot of people don't understand that, you know, as I talked about before, reality really is subjective. My reality is different than your reality. You know, people that go ghost hunting, you know, sometimes they see something, sometimes other people don't see anything. As I've been researching more and more, I've come to this conclusion. I've come to the conclusion that almost any time there is an encounter or there is, you know, some sort of experience, it almost is as if it has to ask you permission, if that makes any sense. There's almost as if there is a circuit that's required that you have to flip a switch in order to this come into a manifestation, right? That's something that you and I have to work on there, Tony. This is something we have to figure out Mm -hmm. what's going on. Because if that is indeed the case, then the idea of shamanism, you know, that's another thing that I'm very interested in. The idea that the shaman was just a normal normal, everyday person that could cross that bridge. See these beautiful terms that you came up to, that he was able to, within his mind, enter another state of being. And through that becomes a conduit to the other world where there are answers that we do not have in this world. And that's beautifully said because that is where we meet the other. That is the liminal space of our humanity. That is going to places where the animal exists or the primal or the fury or the natural. If we are indeed the reason, by going into that bridge, that mind portal, now we are experiencing the chaos And what do we do with that? See, these are all great things. And actually kind of gives me goosebumps because I love talking to you about this. And we could probably go on for hours and hours. But uh, as far as a researcher right now, that is really where I'm kind of, you know, putting all my cards right now. This is where I'm coming from. And I know that will probably ostracize me from a lot of people. But this is the only thing that makes not only academic sense, but sense to me as somebody that has experienced things myself. The only way I can describe it to you, it was a very personal type of thing that had happened to me, and there's no other way that I can explain it to you or explain it to me. And whenever I'm at conferences and people come up to me, the things that they tell me is an experience that was essential and unique to them. It happened to them, and there's as if it's a verb, as if there's an action upon them, and that is, you know, that that that's five other shows in and of themselves.
0: I'm sure. Uh well, w- what what experience are you referencing? What, what did you go through? Okay, so this is this is a very two
1: experiences that I had that I can share with involving white anomalies. Okay, so the first time I was on an investigation with one other researcher, and we were going to an area where there was uh, purported um, werewolf activity, dogman activity. So we were walking, and it was probably around midnight. And all of a sudden, the air around us starts looking like um, static electricity, like whenever you pull a blanket off of a bed. There's all this static electricity going on. And the way we were in, we were on an old abandoned bridge, an old railway bridge. And we were out in the middle of the bridge, and we were starting to get freaked out about this. So we wanted to get back to our car, which was about a mile away. But the only way to get back to our car is by you know turning and going off the bridge and going the one way in and the one way out. It was the same way. So as we turn back to go back, a light illuminates um, for a split second. It looks like almost like a flare going on. And it just kind of dances into existence and then, then flares out again. And we thought, what the, you know, what's going on here? I've never seen anything like this before. But we knew we had to go that way in order to get out. So as we go that way, where we hit the area where we saw the the, the light anomaly, now something is off in the woods beside us as if whatever that light was allowed this thing to now become manifested in our world we didn't see anything mind you we didn't see anything but we heard something following us in the woods now the the really scary thing and of course we went down there with the preconceived notion that we were looking for bigfoot but the thing was though whenever we kind of compared our our experience Within our mind's eye, we saw the same thing, these yellow eyes, you know, nothing, not a full body form, but this is what our, our minds or maybe even our instincts was telling us. We saw these yellow eyes. We saw a snout. We saw teeth. We knew that was ever in those woods that was following us was a predator, right? And we were its prey. And um, as we found the road to get back to our car, Whatever this was, again, you talked about not approaching us. We never saw it, but it stayed in the woods, and you could hear it snarling. Right? You could tell that it was upset with us finding our way back because, through some sort of unspoken agreement, it could not enter into the area where we were at. Right? If that makes any sense, which it doesn't, but that's the thing that made sense to me. I've always been fascinated by these light anomalies. These, these kind of, you know. If this was a few hundred years ago, we would call them spook lights. And back in, you know, back in the middle ages, they would be called fairy lights, but these lights that seem to emanate out of nowhere and have an intelligence to them. Um, I was doing a series with Seth Reglove for small town monsters called, uh, uh, Sasquatch Uncovered the Ridge, which was focusing on the Chestnut Ridge. This was the first season. And this is one of those rare things whenever an investigation was filmed and these things show up. Uh, so it was the very second episode of that series. And you can find them on YouTube for free. Um, we're out in the woods looking for Bigfoot. We hear a couple strange things, maybe a howl, maybe, you know, a wood knock, maybe, you know, nothing definitive. But then we start hearing a sound that sounds like um, uh, wind chimes. Now we're talking about the idea of frequency coming into play, right? Something going on or some sort of frequency coming into play. So we see these three lights moving in the woods and we just assume that they were you know, cell phones or something like that illuminated. These three lights are moving through the woods and all of a sudden they start going up into the air, up into the trees. So there's something very, very strange going on. There were two cameras rolling. Everybody got to see these things. And was this that these lights were playing cat and mouse with us. Um, At the end of the day, if we were doing a ghost investigation, we would have seen orbs. A UFO investigation, this would have been UFOs. You know, all these kind of things come into existence when we're looking for Bigfoot. If this was around a religious area, this could have been a religious experience, right? So it seems as if the whole paranormal is tied up in this kind of gray area. And every now and then, if the conditions are right or if they allow themselves to be manifested, we could enter into their world or they enter into our world. But those are the two things that really have kind of set me along this, this idea as well, too. The idea of this light, which is a frequency in and of itself, and the sound that we heard producing a frequency as well, too. These might be the keys that open up these doorways into another realm. And uh, again, I still get goosebumps thinking about this all the time, but uh, it's not the first time, not the second time. I've, I've experienced these lights many, many times.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, so the, people ask me, because I, I think orbs are just so common. Mm-hmm. Uh, that people—that's one of the number one things I get asked about—is what do you think orbs are? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I think it's a light that you saw. Like, I don't. Outside of that, I don't know what to tell you because there's right. so much to it. And what you're presenting here has my mind turning. And it's a—it's a unique direction that I would like to just put out right now before I forget. Anybody that's listening right now that might have had. Some kind of light orb experience followed immediately, not a day or so. I'm talking about that night, that day, immediately followed by physical activity. Whether it's uh, a a sighting of a creature or hearing something paralleling you, please uh, reach out to us because this is a line of thinking that um, I'm very interested in. Because what if, like, like, let's just say, let's just lay the groundwork here for for to start. Orbs can be anything. We don't, we don't know what they are, but, but we're going to go a specific direction here on this, this conversation. Um, what if orbs are the vehicle between realms? And mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about something interdimensional. So it, throw fit, law of law of physics and physical dimensions out the window. If you see an orb that's the size of a softball and then you have a dogman encounter, it doesn't mean the dogman couldn't have come from the orb because we're mm-hmm. talking about parallel universes. We're talking about it, it transcending dimensions and we don't know what that vehicle looks like to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. But what if we do it, And let's go into some Bigfoot talk with this too, because um, my buddy West at Sasquatch Chronicles, uh, when they had their Bigfoot encounter, they went out to the same exact area. And I was just out there two, three months ago shooting a film uh, on the scene so I know exactly where his encounter happened and I know exactly where these lights happened and they are very close. I'm talking less than a quarter mile. They they go out to do their investigation stuff, you know, because he's when he had this experience, he was enamored by it. Um, they go out there and they're on a bridge and there's this light floating above the water and he has it on video and it'll be in the film. Uh, And then they yell out to it, hey, and they eventually see this light go up a hill. And I've seen the hill in daylight. It's very steep and there is no trail. It's covered in trees. But this thing just moved up the hill, no problem. And it was gone. And it's the same exact area that this Bigfoot, crazy Bigfoot encounter happened. And I personally have experienced... Similar things that he experienced that night when we were out there. Our last night, like Wes talks about when he was sitting in the car, that he heard a growl, but also felt the growl. It was it was in the car with him. I don't know if it it might have been in the car with him, and he just it just it isn't understandable because we're thinking physical. So we're getting back on our RV, and and we're we we took our RV almost up to the location. I mean, it was probably I would say. 500 feet away from the location itself and it's the last night there we're getting back in the rv cameraman gets and this is why we need a second cameraman uh the, the cameraman gets back in the rv everybody's getting on and the reason why he's back on the rv just so people understand is that he's trying to film us getting back on the rv um me and joel are the last ones to get on and we hear a deep very deep growl and it sounded like it was just over our shoulder. And we look, turn around and look nothing. We look behind the RV, nothing. But that's exactly what Wes describes happening in that area. West saw the light in that area. We didn't see that light in the area, but we did connecting more dots to what you brought up. And I think it was a bug. Okay, in oh my gut, I think it's a bug. But there's some members of my team that are not convinced it was a bug. Uh... We we might have caught a fay on camera. It was ah. it was it was a it was, a, it, was a, it was a night vision camera, and mm-hmm. so it's hard to tell what you're seeing. But I have to look back at the video to see what my reaction was. Because in, in my mind's eye, I get confused between the screen reality and my reality of what I was oh. experiencing. Wow. But I feel like I, we didn't see it unless it was on the camera. But what, anyways, we catch it on camera. It flies up to our camera, flies off screen, and then comes back and goes right back to where it came from into the woods. And it appears when it comes out of the woods. And then, it, but it's, it's wings and legs. And at first you're like, is that what I think it is? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm going to go with bug because unless I know otherwise... But there are people on my team who really believe it was a fay, and the jury's still out. And so That's I don't, right. I don't know if it's going to be in the film or not. Um, but if it's in the film, it's in the film. But anyways, I, I bring that up because again, we got specific location with a lot of weird going on, and these these lights might be a vehicle mm. on, on that.
1: Yeah. So I I, I, I love that, and hopefully. It is because a lot of times people get these things and they don't include it. I know whenever I did, you know, the the, the one on uh, small town monsters, that was not the reason that the show was out there filming. But I think they should have said, okay, we're not going to look for Bigfoot at this point. We're going to focus on this anomaly. But you know, people have agendas and everything like that, and it still turned out to be a good series. But I want to put this out to you and your listeners as well too. In um, places where I've investigated that have a lot of bigfoot encounters and a lot of UFO encounters here in the Chestnut Ridge we it, it goes to a place called Fayette County in West Virginia where there's uh the uh, Newtown Gorge, or the uh yeah the the New River Gorge that's also a uh, Fayette County there as well too and all these places around the country where very abnormal and uh, you know uh, uh strange things go woo things happen often have the word uh, Fayette attached to them and that actually is a, a French word that means little ferry. So is it possible that when people went into these areas, they named it Fayette as a warning to stay away rather than as a nice little name? So it's almost like "here be Dragon. So that's one of the things I'm looking at as well, too, because names mean something, right? So is it possible that whenever people went into these areas a couple hundred years ago, they named it Fayette because they were getting the same
0: experiences? Uh, I love this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's that's yeah. really interesting. Um, I, I mean, obviously, I know Fayette County, and 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 there's so much weird stuff going on there. In fact, I think I have a an interview with a lady named Melissa Missy, something like that. I can't remember. It's years ago, uh, where she moved back into her mom's house, and the activity that goes on in her mom's house every night, repeatable, um, think these things coming up to the house, uh, these creatures. But I I don't remember the details of the story. I should reach out to her again. Um. I don't remember the details of the story exactly, but I remember her reaching out to me before I was podcasting. And when I was just running my Facebook group, I had a Pennsylvania Sasquatch research group. And um, she told me this woo-woo weird stuff about Bigfoot. And I was like, Bigfoot's not like that. And uh, I was like, this lady's crazy. And then uh, a few years later, she emails. And I don't think she realized that she had already talked to me through that group. I don't think she remembered that. And I, I, I remember her and I was like, I feel like I remember these stories being crazier. I'm like, I think I've changed. But <laughs> she's talks about, she talks about these lights coming up to the 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 door and this woo-woo stuff with the bigfoot. And I was like, Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, perfect sense. Right. and back in the day yeah. I was
1: like, no way. That's right. Hey, look. I'm so flattered that you asked me on the show, and I know that you're a busy man, and I don't want to seem like, oh, you want to have me on again, but I would love to talk to you just to show about nothing but Earthlights or nothing about fairies, because I have a book out called On Fairies, which I, I it is an exhaustive 80,000-word piece of, of literature that I put out there to really try to wow. connect the dots all around the world, and I have another book out called Earthlights, an and intellectual inquiry. It has not been, the, it's still with the publisher. It's not been out yet, but I would... These things are my passion right now, and after going out in the woods looking for footprints and looking at all this kind of stuff, this fascinates me far more because I think that if we are going to get to the crux of what's going on, for getting to the root of what's going on, this is where the answers lie, or if not, the answers at least not. There's always going to be question marks at the end of the day, my friend, but at least we're getting a little bit closer to what truth is out there.
0: Absolutely. And we'll definitely, we definitely will have you back on to talk about that. And I'm sure other things, because the way this conversation went, we jumped back and forth from, we went from uh, Pennsylvania to Egypt and back. (laughs) uh, Yeah. yeah. So let me just bring this up real quick, because I know you wrote, you mentioned about, you wrote a book about, um, about witches. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that that is something that like witches should be looked at as well. And I don't know how you feel about the idea of modern witches and where you feel, what you think on all that stuff. But, um, I know witches, you know, it's part of the perks of the job. So uh, I I talk to witches sometimes and, uh, I actually am in communication with a witch who, uh, claims to have open portals, or I should say, she tells me she closes portals, but I think she opens them too. Uh-huh. Uh, and and uh, I have a friend who told me that he was talking with a witch and she was in a school of mystery learning how to do witchcraft. And they they were learning how to open portals. Mm-hmm. And she said, they opened a portal and an upright walking dog came through.
1: Wow.
0: What say you oh. to that? Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Wow, that that is some scary stuff. Hey, and you know what? Um, you know, in the Middle Ages, uh, Satan was often represented as a wolf. You know, the idea of this predatory animal. Um, and I think so. You and I have been in the field long enough to know that there are people out there that can do strange things, right? Whatever right. the reason, you know, which people are able to manipulate the world around them for whatever reason or by whatever means. And I've often said there's there are the idea of portals, and I think some of them are um, natural and some of them are through intentions. And the ones that are through intentions are the ones that are most scary to me because you have no idea what the intentions are that opened up that portal, right? Because it's kind of like just giving it throwing a key out there and your hope that the stranger that finds that key. Is going to be a good natured person that opens up that door, but anything can open up that door. And I think a lot of places that are called haunted or you know even possessed or you know infiltrated by these kind of creatures may indeed have been a portal that somebody opened. And they simply have no idea on how to close.
0: Yeah, I mean, so haunted locations, uh, but even like you said, possessed. That goes back mm-hmm. to the mind portal. Did you not close the portal door and something came uh-huh. through? Uh, and, and so it, it's just there's there's a lot. Of interesting things, even with the the lights that we were talking about, and I was saying how it could be a vehicle. When I was saying, I I didn't use the proper like. When I'm saying vehicle, I'm saying like maybe that is a portal in itself, the the vehicle, you know. And so, um, it's just there's there's so much to consider and look through, and and just and that's what that's why I like doing this show. The way I've built the show is I just think out loud. There's a lot of times that I have ideas on the show that I share publicly that I just came to me at that moment. Mm -hmm and uh and really, this show has been such a blessing for me because it allows me to uh brainstorm in the moment and then I get to record those brainstorms and uh and that's the way I do things and so uh ron i, I this this conversation went way better than I even could have imagined, and so. Uh, I am very much looking forward to having you back on, uh, plenty of times and we're going to do this again for sure.
1: I will be flattered. And if you ever get up to my neck of the woods, let's go out and look and see if we can get, uh, into some of
0: these fairy lights. Absolutely. And your neck of the woods is again, remind me. Um, I'm in Westmoreland County. So I'm right outside of Pittsburgh. Gotcha. Oh, for some reason I was thinking you were in Massachusetts. Why was I thinking? No, no, no. I'm in, I'm right here in Western Pennsylvania. I felt like you, you started there and then you, and I, I was like, and he moved away. So you're no, still in Western PA? Still here. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Listen, I'll tell you what, I I hardly come to Pennsylvania now, uh, but I will be going into the Virginias, West Virginia, doing some some funky stuff. Uh, if I ever get up there though, we, the, we need, I, I need a, a personal tour of the weird stuff in the area. You will get that, my friend, I assure you. Awesome, man. Well, uh, before we get out of here, let people know where they can get your content and where they can find you again.
1: All right. So yeah. So um visit me on uh, uh you know social media, Ronald Murphy, uh, you know, friend me, whatever the case may be. Uh you can go to my author page, Ronald L. Murphy Jr. on Facebook as well, too. And uh, Amazon, you can get my books on Amazon. And if you're out and about the last weekend of this month, I will be at the Kexburg Festival. Well, along with Stan Gordon there. So I'll be there at the end of the month. And of course, come uh come uh what is it, the end of August, right? Beginning of September, we will be at the dogman uh, conference number two, uh, outside of Dallas, Texas. Hopefully you're gonna be there too, right?
0: No, I'm not gonna be there.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. It's
0: all right though. I I I I actually um swore off traveling outside of Tennessee for the rest of the year, at least overnight. Yeah. Uh I'll make one exception and that's to hunt down a treasure connected to ancient ruins. That one I might do, but (laughs) I I just done so much traveling out of state. I just wanted to stay close to home.
1: Uh, Well, if anybody here in Western Pennsylvania, you're traveling into Gettysburg, uh, not uh, this Friday, but next Friday, I'll be in Gettysburg for three days. And on Saturday, I'll be giving a talk about um, vampires.
0: Oh, my gosh. We're going to talk about vampires again. We're going to do vampires. We're going to do your witches. We're going to do the lights. We're going to talk about whatever. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to talk to you again. I can't. My it's been it's been a pleasure, and
1: it's been so long to get together. It was like pounding that bottle of ketchup, and whatever it finally comes out, it's the best tasting ketchup in the world. I I agree. <laughs> On that note, that's the show, everybody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show, just share the show if you enjoyed it. That's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Share the show. And don't forget, The Shape of Shadows. That is the film we're coming out with on August 19th, 2023, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, exclusively premiering on theshapeofshadows.com. That is also where you can get your VIP or VIP plus tickets. The Shape of Shadows. Com. That's the name of the film. And we're going to be going live with the premiere on August 19th, 2023. I hope you can be there. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye. Bye.
1: I know it's all can enjoy that ride But the matrix don't care We enjoy Cloud 9 6-3 Nicola No order particular yeah. and dreams of the crack sell. But we know the crack gon' sell So if it's a variable But don't work well I wasn't hand when Reagan Was the cartel But Shabazz Do I rap? Do I sing? Do I preach? I don't know Do I lack anything via love? No I don't But we gotta be a warrior too Cause that's just what warriors do Baby